important to stay willing and ready to live our lives as they've been designed and to capitalize on our opportunities. Are you eager to do that this morning? Think about that. You know, I used to play a little role in my neighborhood, and I was always Mr. Eager and enthusiastic. And I'd find people around and go, man, you, you, you want to you go do something special today? Come on, let's do it. And there were things like, let's get on our roof, right? Or let's walk around the back of our backyards and see if we lived on a court. Let's see if we can walk through the whole court without ever touching the ground on the fences that line the backyards of all the houses. And so we would do that. Or, or let's build, let's build tree houses up in these big California live oaks and let's be the masters of our universe. And man, we did until bigger guys came and smacked us around and took our fort, right? Things like that would happen in my neighborhood. But we're always doing something, and, and, and I found myself realizing that I've got to wake up eager. I've got to be ready and willing. Now, was I always ready and willing? No. You know, in middle school, you know how you are and, and how rough you can be in your early high school years. No, there were certain things I wasn't willing and eager about. But I found that enthusiasm and being eager were so very, very important in life. I want to challenge you with that this morning. Have you come here to be, have you come here eagerly? Or did you get drug here? Have you come here expectant? Or have you just come and said, oh, hum, you know, it's okay. How have you come? Being eager, being willing, being ready is important, especially in hardship, especially in trials and pain and loss and suffering. When we stay eager, when we stay willing, when we stay ready in the midst of pain and hardship, you know what? The way to God's will is clearer when we stay eager, when we stay expectant. And success becomes clearer, that path to success. It becomes clearer if we can give thanks, if we can celebrate our pain, if we can stay eager to see God do something. Uh, I've been challenged with that throughout my life by many believers that lived a very difficult, pain-filled lives, but they found how important it was to celebrate those pains, to stay enthusiastic and eager if they were going to do the will of God and as if they were going to have victory over their pain. I think that's what Paul was trying to say to the believers in Hebrews chapter 12, and he exhorts and encouraged them and remember, he did this in the first couple of verses, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? Because he's the pioneer and he's the author. He's the per perfecter, the coach trainer of your faith. And it says, keep your eyes on him, because for the joy set before him, this is what he did. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So, Whatever pain you're going through, too, keep your eyes on him because he's got a purpose and a plan down the road. Your pain is not going to be permanent. Your suffering, your trial is not going to be permanent. But God has a blessing he wants to give to you. But you've got to set your eyes on him. You've got to walk the path he's called you to walk. Right? Because he's called you to the same position that Jesus had, the place of privilege and power at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So we're to stay eager. We're to stay willing. We're to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we're not going to grow weary and lose heart when we receive opposition from sinners. Right? Don't lose your eagerness. Don't lose your ability to to do the will of God. Don't lose your ability and your hopefulness to receive his great blessings. Don't do it. Don't let the world rob you of it. So this morning, I want you to read with me just one verse. We'll read more verses, you know that, but we're going to start out with one, and it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And it says this, because in this verse, Paul's going to give us two more see to it priorities for really how we're to pursue uh, eagerly these things so that we can live the great life God intends for us. Because God is doing something in all of our lives. Remember, he marked out that course marked out for us, and if we're following him, we're on the course of training and blessings and and being made like Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 14. Make every effort. Pull out all the stops. You know, Katie, bar the door, sell the farm. Whatever expression you want to make, you pull out and make every effort. To live in peace with everyone. Everyone's pretty all-inclusive. Think about that person you're not so fond of right now. The scripture is speaking to you. Live at peace with them. Get along with them. As far as it depends on you, he's saying. And make every effort to do that. Every effort. And then he says, and to be holy. Make every effort. To be holy. Don't make every effort to see how close you can get to the line. How, how, how much you can, how many sins you can do and still feel okay with Jesus. See, we do stuff like that as human beings, don't we, at times? But it's telling us, make every effort to be holy. And it says this, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Like, some of you might be going, well, I don't really see him now and everything's okay. I I don't know. What's so good about that? Well, we're going to talk about that a little later here. But we're to eagerly pursue these things. Why are we to eagerly pursue these things? Well, here's the first thing. Peace and holiness are to be our spiritual condition. That's our first point. As well as our spiritual position. You need to write that down. It's not new with me. Let's see, this is kind of a theological sentence that has been established by many over time. Peace and holiness are to be our spiritual condition as well as our spiritual position. So I want you to consider how our spiritual position has changed because of what God has done for us through Jesus and because of our, our trust and faith in him. And so if you've got a Bible... You can turn it to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to notice how our position has changed. Okay, this is how our position has changed. It says in verse 3, Paul, uh, or, yeah, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here, here's the first thing, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Jesus won all sorts of blessings for us by living and dying on our behalf 
And when we have accepted him and what he did for us, we receive them too. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now he goes on. For he chose us, you and me who believe, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He knows the renovation work he's trying to do in us. He knows what his plans are to set us apart, to bring us to himself, and then to make us what we were created to be. And he's, he's on the job. And he knew that at creation. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he did this in love. In love. He didn't, just didn't do it just because he thought he should or was supposed to do it. He loved. He was pleased to do it. He wanted to do it. In love. He predestined us for adoption as sonship, to sonship through Jesus Christ. He wanted to take all the responsibility for us. He wanted to give us a place and a home that we would belong. He wanted to make everything right that was wrong when we were lost and separated from him. That's a huge obligation, isn't it? But that's what he's done for you if you are in Christ. Let's keep going. And it says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, and according with his pleasure and will, he was happy to do it to the praise of his glorious grace, because it took grace, which he lavished on us and freely given to us. It says, which he freely gave to us, the one he loves. In him we have redemption, and it was pricely through his blood that was shed, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. It sounds like God's pretty, like, uh, he loves us. He's pretty hot on us. <laughs> he has a, he, when he thinks of this, he's pleased. Wow. Which he purposed in Christ to put in effect when the times had reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's winning back everything that was lost. And then it says in verse 11, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You and I, when we heard it and we received it, we took our place with the first apostles and disciples, just as they, and we received all these things. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing that everything that's been promised, our inheritance, man, will be given to us until the time of redemption, the time that Jesus returns to take possession. Man, to the praise of his glory. What a great scripture. And then it says in chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You changed. You were raised up. You have a new vantage point in perspective. A new context. You're up at the right hand of the Father with Christ, sitting next to him, if indeed you've believed. Wow. Those are the best box seats ever. They're awesome. And we have been raised up, and then it goes on, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable 
riches of his grace. There's even more for us expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, purchased and brought back, and he's going to make us that work of art that he promised, created in Christ Jesus, guess what, to do good works, to join him in doing those good works that we were destined for, which God prepared in advance for us to do to be a part of his plan, to bring all things back, and to prepare us for what is next. Man, what a privilege. And because we are God's children, by faith we've been permanently positioned in Christ. We have peace with him. Look at the person next to you and just say, I have peace with God. Come on, tell them, I have peace with God. Jesus Christ has won me peace with God. I am at peace. Because we are his children, we have peace, we have forgiveness of sin, we have life everlasting, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us. He's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of peace. Do you know you have the Spirit of God within you? If you don't, ask him to fill you and to show you that he's in you. So you know, because he's the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And as his children, because we already have peace, because he's forgiven us of our sins, because he's raised us up, we're to make every effort then and to be eager to maintain this inner peace that is equal to the positional peace that we have. See, we have have the position of peace. We've been placed up there. We've been let in. We have the right to be there. I have a card in my wallet that tells me that I have the right, if I go back to my university, to go to any home athletic activity for free. Because it was granted to me back when I was in school and when I graduated. See, I have the authority. You have the authority. The same way, in Christ, you have peace. It's been granted to you. And by my maintaining a mind that, that is stayed on him, and is ready to and willing to get along with others, you are practicing this peace. Let me ask you, is that your heart attitude? Is that your heart desire? Are you eager to make every effort to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you? See, it, it's, it's, it's easy to expect that because of what God has done for us. Be, and, and he's made a way for us to walk in those, that path just as he did. Is that our desire? We're, do, we're called to do that in Scripture. In fact, Psalm 85, uh, 10 states this, love and faithfulness meet together. It's an Old Testament passage. Righteousness and peace take each other. See, it's kind of given us some imagery here. Imagery that makes it clear that there's a relationship between being righteous, which is treating other people right, treating other people the way we want them to treat us, right? Treating them according to God's word, which means we forgive those who sin against us. We seek to reconcile with those that we have ought against or when a conflict has occurred. We seek to be 
uh, slow to speak and slow to become angry, but quick to listen. See, we're growing and learning in those things in righteousness with each other. And it says that righteousness and peace kiss each other. There's a relationship there. These words were written to a culture in a time that really they didn't do a lot of casual displays of affection. They weren't real demonstrative like that. So for him to write something like this, that righteousness and peace kiss, it's symbolic of the fact that there's a true relationship between these two. If we want to know lasting peace, we're going to be concerned with treating other people right in our words, our attitudes, and our actions. Because they're inseparable. Righteousness and peace are inseparable. Right? Romans 12, 17 through 18 reinforces this tie, and it says to us, the Apostle Paul commands, do not repay anyone evil for evil, because evil's going to be done to you. But, but like mom used to say, right, two wrongs don't make a right. Right? I never understood that, though. And I never believed it until I came to Jesus. Because I thought, you know, yeah, two wrongs don't make a right, but boy, I'm going to sure give them my right, right? <laughs> you know? I, I, I just didn't get it, but I get it in Christ. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Ooh. For it, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, man. Now, we know it's, it's not realistic or very likely that you're going to be at peace with everyone all the time, right? And we, in fact, Jesus even said that you're doing something wrong if everybody speaks well of you, Right? Because there's got to be a, there's a little stirring up that happens. Uh, we used to always say, no well-behaved person ever made history, right? And that's probably true. You don't make a difference, but you don't want to be obnoxious. Um, that's for sure. But when, when there's conflict with others, the scripture is saying, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be because we're sinning against other people. Where we're treating them harshly or we're treating them without consideration, or we're treating them without a sense of awareness that we're not perfect too. And so we need to come at them with a little more grace, right? Um, if we're treating other people without consideration, if we're holding grudges, if we're refusing to be reconciled, uh, that's not what we're called to do because God has reconciled us through Jesus. And he paid the ultimate price. If we're obedient to God, there's going to be friction with other people at times. That's going to happen in our families, in our marriages, in our church. But as much as it's up to us, we are to show peace to others and, and make peace a priority because it's been given to us. We stand in the position of peace. We see the bigger picture seated next to Christ in the heavenly realm. Uh, you know, I used to tell people, and I'll tell you this, there's no one that I can't forgive. And you know why? Because of how much I realize I've been forgiven. So, you can do whatever to me, but don't plan to try to do stuff to me and see if you can break the record, right? But you can do stuff to me, but if you came and said, Kelly, would you forgive me? I'm sorry. You bet. Because whatever, I know, I would be capable of even worse of what you were capable of at some point in time, but Jesus has made me new and made me a new creation, and I'm thankful for that. 
I hope you're thankful for that too. Again, Paul says in Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So if you're not going to say something that's going to help build somebody up, then like Thumper's mom said, don't say nothing at all. Right? Don't say nothing. You know. what, what, what? Bambi? Yeah, okay, thank you. I'd forgotten. Don't say anything at all. Do what leads to peace. So am I, are you, and that's something important to ask ourselves, are we making every effort to live in peace with other people? You know, sometimes we have to come back and evaluate and say, no, I'm sorry, I, I haven't been. So now, God, forgive me and help me to. And you begin to. Are you leaving any action undone that might build other people up, that might resolve a conflict, that might heal a wound, that might encourage others and promote peace? This is really important to ask. This is so important, so timely. Because it just seems like weekly I run into situations in the church, outside of the church, in my own family, where people are just wanting to cut people off because they've been human beings. And they've messed up, they've been less than perfect, and they made mistakes. And then people judge each other without ever talking to each other. I'm going to go bald, man, you know, sometimes about that. Be curious. Talk to people. Just talk. You can work out your situation if you can just talk. Why do people, even professional people, think and say, just don't talk to each other anymore. Don't say a word. Don't have anything to do with them. How is that going to resolve a conflict? It doesn't work. It just makes it stew and makes it worse. And you don't, you don't bring peace and you don't bring healing and resolve. We've got, we've got to have a new vision for this. We're called to live at peace with everybody, and it's tightly bound to righteousness. And so, because we have this position um, of, of peace, that's our spiritual position, it should also be our spiritual condition. Are the fruit of the Spirit, is this fruit of peace, is it, is it being born in your life, and are others receiving peace from you? That's what we are to give people, peace. Because in so many places, peace is not offered to us. And peace, even when it's not there anywhere else. And so that's really the first thing we're eagerly asked to do. Well, here's the second thing. Along with mutual peace, our passage encouraged us to be eager and to eagerly pursue, pursue a life of holiness. Wow, does that sound boring. Huh? I don't know if y'all grew up in places like that, but that always sounded really stick-in-the-mud boring. Oh, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Holiness is not boring. But it's a common theme throughout Scripture. It's all over Scripture, and we have to spend more time understanding how am I to be holy, and what is the holiness I'm called to? See, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. We've been set apart by the Spirit We've been filled with the Spirit and be made a new creation. We are holy. <coughs> we have the position of holiness in Jesus because of what he's done for us. I'm here to tell you. <coughs> None of us could stand before a holy God on our own. There's just no way. And he is holy. He's made that very clear. But he's also made it clear that he understands that we cannot stand before him unless 
we were forgiven and made holy. And so he came and became a man and died on our behalf. And his blood covers us now. And his blood washes us white as snow. So that in Jesus, you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are holy and set apart to him. Say amen to that. Amen. Amen. So our ability to stand in God's presence, it wasn't gained by ourselves. It was gained by the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And the Bible says here that you've got to be holy to see the Lord. So Jesus made it possible for us to see God. We didn't make it possible for ourselves. God loved us first, and therefore we loved him and responded to him. And because we have, man, we can now not only have the positional holiness that we have where we've been redeemed, set apart, washed clean, we can now pursue and make every effort to pursue conditional holiness. Conditional holiness. That means holiness in our present circumstances. Holiness in our relationships. Holiness in our mind, in our heart, condition of our lives. Do you have conditional holiness? Where are you right now? And let me tell you something. Our positional holiness, it can be lost. Because we have we are not willing to obey and move toward conditional holiness and have the condition of holiness in our lives. If we willfully disobey the word of the Lord to us, we're rejecting what the Holy Spirit is doing, and that's called sin. So we have to, we can't whistle in the dark and go, you know, God doesn't really care, and he says, oh yeah, you and I will both pay for that. I'm sorry to say. So let's not let the world or the evil one or our flesh tell us that's not true because there will be prices and costs. We live in this broken world. But Jesus will still redeem us. But some of us are going to get into heaven and everything else will be burned up and won't make it with us into heaven. You know, at least you're there, man. I can still remember when certain people graduated from my high school and I remember high-fiving them going, dude, I can't believe you made it. And, he, and I remember my one friend going, oh, I know, man. There's no way. How did I do it? But I did it. And then he had chickens in his, in his uh, he, had, he had these cages with chickens and different birds in them under his, his, his gown. And, and when we went into the graduate service, at one point he let them loose. <laughs> and, and it was the funniest thing in the world to watch these things flying in a, in a, a big auditorium. And this one woman stands up and goes, boom, it hits her. And we're dying laughing. But after that year, they changed all the rules for graduations. <laughs> because we had way too much fun in our years. We were, we, I, I'm sorry, that's not my message, but. <laughs> so we're to be eager. Be eager and make every effort. Rely on the promises of God and the Holy Spirit to live obediently unto him. But really, here's the question. Why should I want to be holy? What is the reward that comes from being holy? Why should I want to be pure? It seems like, you know, because we mow through life and we're, we're okay with life by just getting two pounds of God in a brown paper sack. And so we're okay living kind of on the mediocre side. <coughs> but God does not intend that for you or me. Verse 14 tells us, 
without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Jesus affirmed that same reality in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed or happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But, but we're asking ourselves, why should I really want to see God? What is so good about that? <coughs> oh my gosh. What is so good about that? I know part of you is asking that question. I hope there's another part of you who knows or has a glimpse of why that's so good. Think about it. Haven't you ever seen things that have enriched your heart? Come on, that you've seen out in the world? Haven't you seen things that have given you new hope when you were about, and it was just one thing you saw? Hasn't something that you saw changed your mind, changed your attitude, changed your actions, and thus changed your relationships and the outcomes of your life? Hasn't there been something you've seen? I want you to throw up and see this next slide. I don't know where we're at there, but go ahead. See that right there? You know what that is. What, what is it? It's a, it's a field of fireflies right at dusk. Do you know that we have a place like this here in Wichita, not far from where I live? We stumbled upon it one time about 9, 9.15 at night. We were walking through this nature area, and all of a sudden, we came into this. I thought, am I at Disneyland on the Pirates of the Caribbean? I go, my gosh, <coughs> it was magical, wasn't it? And I see people that were there with it. We're like going, oh my gosh, look at this, it is so cool. Our whole evening was enriched. We were just laughing and smiling. It was wonderful. All it was was a bunch of fireflies but it was breathtaking. If you're nice and come and ask me, I might tell you where to go see them. But it has to be around July 4th. That was a good time. And you want to pray that it's about, it's humid, you know, because that helps too. A little humidity never hurt any of these guys. So, but it's beautiful. But it changed our whole attitude, and it made us feel like we were in one of the most enchanted places in the universe, Wichita, Kansas. That was cool. But what about this? Next slide. Look at it. Anybody here ever been to the Redwoods in Northern California? Oh, baby. Avenue of the Gods right there, man. Woo! I don't know if you feel like I feel, but I get out there and walk and look up at those, and we've taken pictures on everything. We've been on every square inch of that place. I'm worshiping. I'm out there ready to take my shirt off and just worship nature. I feel like I'm one of the first human beings out there. I know I'm messing around, but I, feel, I, I just had that sense of God's love and his grace and his faithfulness. As I look at those massive trees that have been there for centuries, that have seen the history of man, and people come and go, but they stand. If you've never been there, go there. <coughs> they point me to God. And I am. I'm on the verge of tears. When I think about it, everything within me changes, and I feel the God's pleasure and his holiness there. Let's go to the next one. Ooh, look at that. Verified that that was a real photograph, because I thought, okay, this is a cheese ball photograph. You see a face of a person laying in the clouds looking up at the moon. 
Oh. The universe is vast, is it not, Kent Lupton? The universe is vast. And the Bible says that the universe and, and the earth declare God's glory. Oh, I love that. I love that. It does. The Lord is there. The Lord is with us. I have found that God promised is true. I hope you have. In Jeremiah 29, 13, that promise, we've been quoting that, it seems like. And this is what God said there. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise. Very straightforward and clear. You. 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 You will seek me. And you'll find me. When you seek for me with all your heart. When we quit fighting our circumstances, when we quit trying to make things the way we want them to be, when we turn over our cares and our burdens and needs in a wholehearted submission to the Lord, let me tell you something. Uh, you can give testimony to this if you want to. Have you ever had one word change your heart from the Lord? One word. Have you ever heard one word in prayer? If you haven't, you need to ask God to speak to you and give you one word. I've had one word change my whole life that I heard. Did I hear it audibly? No, I heard it in the eyes or ears of my heart, in my mind, but it was loud. Have you ever experienced one vision, one picture, and it's changed your whole attitude and outlook on your situation? I hope you have. I have. And it changed everything. Have you sensed or felt one touch? Emotional touch. Maybe physical feeling. And it changed everything. Oh, yes. I hope you have. And I hope you won't just say, I'm going to keep my my faith intellectual and academic? No, you're in a relationship with a living being. He wants you to experience him. Begin to experience him. One word whispered to your heart, one picture to your mind, one touch that comes upon your body or emotions will change everything. It will change everything. I want to bring you back to a story, and I'm not going to read it, and it's found in Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 23, and most of us know it well. And it's the story of Peter walking on the water. Remember, Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus women and children with a couple loaves and a couple fish, right? Uh, I mean, it was totally miraculous. It blew the minds of the disciples, but they're still not getting that Jesus is their all in all. They're still not getting the picture. They're not seeing what he's trying to get him to see. And so what does he do? He says, get in a boat and go across the lake, and I'm going to go up here and pray. And so he goes up to pray. Well, they go ahead and across the lake. The wind buffets them. The waves crash against them. They're worried. They're not sure what's going to happen. Are we going to make it? And man, we're not making any headway. And Jesus is up on the cliff, on the shore, praying. And he waits. He waits until the middle of the night, early in the morning. And then he comes, how? He comes walking on the water. Well, they're out there fighting still. They've been fighting for hours, struggling for hours, trying to do what they felt like God wanted them to do, what the Lord wanted them to do, and they're making no headway. And all of a sudden, this purse shows up, <coughs> walking on water. I want you to see yourself in that. 
I hope you've been on the lake or the ocean. Take some time to see that in your mind's eye. Because God wants you to. You're out there struggling. You've been doing it for hours. And all of a sudden, you see this person walking on the water. <laughs> Come on! You know you're like going, dude, what do I see? Is, is that what I think I see? That looks like Jesus. Would Jesus be walking on the water? Oh, my gosh. And they, they freak out when he comes by them. <coughs> and then he's saying, then, and he's going to pass them right by. He's not going to stop. Why would Jesus do that? He's trying to get them. I'm here. Respond. Do something. Well, they screamed first because they were scared. Now what? Jesus, come help us. You know, and, and, and they're, they're, they figured out it's Jesus. And then Peter gets this idea, and think about this. You've been in water before. Uh, I've gone down a class four rapid without a boat. I, I thought I might drown. I felt that way. I didn't. Thank God I had a lot more weight to keep me a buoyant. But, you know, um, you're, you're fighting it. And he's looking at Jesus, and he said, Jesus, call me out to walk with you. And Jesus said, hmm, I was wanting a response. I'm here. You see me, respond to me. Y'all can get out of that boat if you wanted to. But only Peter says, man, call me out. And he, he says, come. He jumps out of the boat, and what does he do? He walks on water. And this is real water. There's wind and there's waves going on right now, and he's walking on water. Think about that. Think about that, and he's doing it. And then what happens? It says that he looked at the wind and the waves. He was looking at Jesus walking on water. The image he saw, seeing the Lord, changed everything. <coughs> but he then what did he do? He did what human beings do, and God knows he took his eyes off Jesus, and put him on the wind and the waves. And what happened? <coughs> he sank and began to sink. The Lord responded, because he's teaching him. He grabs him by the arm. He lifts him up. And he says, oh, you of little faith, why do you believe? I'm holding you up now. I'm still standing on water. Lower your eyes. What would you forget? You took them off me. You relied on yourself. You put it on the problems or the issues. All you need to do is see me. And you're going to walk on water. You're going to walk on water. It's in those moments that you realize that his word, his touch, his power, his presence is what you're really looking for. That's what you need. That's what you're really looking for. You don't know that. We think, oh, I just need a new truck. I just need a new home. I just need to go on a different vacation. Oh, I just need to go eat at this restaurant. Or, or whatever, right? We do that at times. And I think that half the things that we, we spend in our culture in excess chasing after fulfillment and dreams and feeling like you got a life, I think 99% of those things we're supposed to find in Jesus. But because we're not seeing him, we're not listening, we're not being touched by him. 
we go after all that other stuff. It's never going to meet our need. It's never going to give us what we want. What we're really looking for and what we really need is to see Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? See, God is so glorious and so marvelous that the Bible says that we can't even see him in our present state. That we would have to be hidden and could only see his back because it's so marvelous and glorious. It would change everything. Well, one, we'd be dead if we saw him face to face right now. But we're going to see him. And he wants to let himself be known. See, holiness is what you are really longing for. To be set apart, to be in his will, to see him and follow him, and to do things his way. That's what you really need. You don't need one more of anything else you've been going after. You need his holiness. Holiness is what you long for. Holiness is what you really need, just like the song says. Our ultimate goal, our ultimate desire is to see the Lord. That is it. And that's what the scripture is telling us. But, I've got to kind of tie this up a little bit quickly here. Finally, we've got to take advantage of our position in Christ. We've got to take advantage of God's promises that he, that he wants to show himself and our opportunity to see him in the situations and circumstances that we're in. We have to take advantage. So we must pursue, pursue, pursue holiness. That's what he's telling us. This is one of the see to it priorities. Pursue, pursue, pursue peace, and pursue, pursue, pursue holiness. You know, I'm always amazed at when, when you know, you've seen this, and hopefully, maybe it's you and you sometimes. You know, people will spend a fortune, or someone else will spend a fortune getting them a gift to sit in the best seats behind the plate for a professional baseball game, or courtside at a professional basketball game, or dead center, first so many rows of one of the greatest performances that they could be at. You name it, you know where you want to go or where people want to go, and you've got those seats. And then when they pan the audience, you see that person doing this. You know, uh, I know that's how sometimes younger people watch things. They watch movies this way. Oh, yeah, I see that movie. Okay. You know, because I watch them with them, and I go, oh, man, that was a great movie. Look at that! And they go, oh, oh, yeah, okay. But they're doing that. Or what else are they doing? They're asleep. That would be me more so, probably. Um, they'd be asleep. Or they're engrossed in this conversation with the person next to them, and I'm thinking, you know you could have that conversation before or after. What are you doing? Right now, you've paid for this. Enjoy it. See it. Discover it. Because what they're doing is they're missing a great game, or they're missing a magnificent performance, or they're missing the opportunity that was so graciously given to them and generously given to them. They're missing it. Because they don't have the attitude to be eager to pursue, pursue, pursue. Take advantage of your opportunities. Follow peace. Seek after it. Follow holiness. Seek after it. We've got to pursue that because of where we are seated in our life. 
Jesus has seated us at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, and I hope we're not just up there engrossed on our phones next to Jesus, right? We don't get lost and miss our opportunity because something wonderful is waiting for us that can change our lives. I want you to stand, and let's close in prayer.